So if you'll turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. We read the first verse and then we turn to verse 13 and read forward from there. Galatians 5 verse 1. Listen then for the voice of God. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And if you'll turn to verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful natures, for the sinful nature desires what is contra contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. So since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. The word of the Lord. My friend Joe Heisinger writes about graduating from high school and being free. In his words, after 12 years of assignments, detentions, suspensions, and getting up early, I was free to go out and live my absolute best life. My parents let me off the leash. And so for the next year, Joe worked, went to college, ate out, stayed out, and lived without restraint. He was free to follow every will and whim, no longer hemmed in or required to live into the expectations of others. He could do what he wanted, when he wanted, and how he wanted. And he writes this. After nine months of my new freedom, I dropped out of two colleges. I wasn't exercising or playing any sport, and I wasn't accountable to anyone. I had no schedule and no money. I was unchallenged, out of shape, disconnected, depressed. I'd come a long way for my freedom, 
I was free and I was miserable. Dear friends, I'm not sure that there is any other word in our culture that carries more freight than freedom. We attach all sorts of meanings to the word. Freedom is the absence of restraint. Freedom is a God-given inalienable right. Freedom is the ability to buy a gun without restriction. Freedom is two gay partners sharing life and love as a married couple. Freedom is a bakery refusing to bake a cake for their wedding. Freedom is not wearing a mask in a pandemic. Freedom is driving away on the last day of school with the windows down and the radio blaring, free falling. Freedom is what we'll celebrate in two weeks with brats and fireworks and, and you get the idea. I'm not sure that any other word in our culture carries as much freight as freedom. We attach all sorts of meanings to the word. So what does Paul mean when he writes, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free? Or you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. What does Paul mean by freedom? What does it mean to be set free by Christ? Let's get at it this way. Paul writes to the Galatians, church in Galatia, who were living under Roman rule and were by no stretch of the imagination free. He writes to them that circumcision was a symbol of law-keeping as a way to be right with God. That's the part we skipped over. It's the first part of chapter 5. Circumcision is a symbol of law-keeping as a way to be right with God. And according to Paul, by accepting circumcision, you were accepting the keeping of the whole law. Any human effort that squares things with, it's an, if any human effort squares things with God, then every human effort is required to square things with God. If playing by one rule makes the difference, then you have to play by all the rules. If trimming the tip changes the relationship, then go ahead and chop the whole thing off. See verse, chapter 5, verse 12. It seems a little drastic, but there's a wholesale quality here. For Paul, the restoration of right relationship with God is not to be trifled or trivialized by our flawed or our finest efforts. There's no half-stepping, there, there's no middle ground. Either we're made right with God by what we do, or we're made right with God by unilateral action of God. 
You're still with me. Seems early, but you're still with me. Either we're made right with God by what we do, or we're made right with God by unilateral action by God. There is, it's either law or grace. It's you or Christ. It's all or nothing. It's tyranny or freedom. John Stott, an evangelical Englishman, puts it this way. Christian freedom is freedom from conscience, freedom from the tyranny of the law, the dreadful struggle to keep the law with the view of winning the favor of God. It's the freedom of acceptance with God and of access to God through Christ. And dear friends, that is to say that we're free from trying to prove ourselves to God. You are free from trying to prove yourself to God. You're free from every effort at being good enough or right enough or Christian enough. You're free from religion as a vehicle to earn God's favor. You're free from debt, even the debt of gratitude. You're free, not as a right or an essential human quality or a subjective feeling, but as an objective ontological fact in the face of God. You're not guilty before God. You're accepted by God in Christ. And there's nothing you can do to add to that. You're flat out free. Thanks be to God. Do you experience life that way? Do you experience life in Christ as freedom? Do you feel free? Not so much. Our impulse, our inclination, our nature is to add something. There has to be something that we do. There's required behaviors. There has to be evidence that we're holding up our end of the bargain. We can't really be free from religious obligation. There has to be some measure of obedience, right? The 16th century Reformation was a revolution of religious freedom. Luther, Calvin, and others removed the impediments to being right with God. And the cry was grace alone through faith alone. It wasn't grace plus something extra. It wasn't grace plus piety. 
It wasn't grace plus keeping the rules. It was grace alone, by faith alone. It was freedom from works. Again, that makes us nervous. Freedom comes with responsibilities. You have to believe something and behave in certain ways. You have to do something. Otherwise, a baby could get in. Maybe there's another way to get at Paul's understanding of freedom. So Sandy and I live a couple blocks away from a series of train tracks. The Metra electric line runs on one track. Amtrak flies by on another track. And Canadian national freight trains lurch and lumber forward on even other tracks. In the quiet of the night, I can hear the chug, the whir, and the whistle of trains on their tracks. What I've learned is that trains run as long as they stay on their respective tracks. A train that jumps the tracks is free, free of the rails, but no longer free to travel, no longer free to be what it was built to be, no longer free to do train things. For Joe, Freedom meant freedom from restraint. He could do whatever he wanted to do, but eventually he was a train wreck. It would be hard to argue that he was truly free. Essential to freedom in Christ is that we're free from that which deforms and derails. And we're free, therefore, to be who we were created to be. David Brooks is helpful here. This is David Brooks. In our culture, we think of freedom as the absence of restraint. That's freedom from. But there's another and a higher kind of freedom. That's freedom to. This is a freedom as fullness of capacity. It often involves restriction and restraint. You have to chain yourself to the piano and practice for year after year if you want to have the freedom to really play. You have to chain yourself to a certain set of virtuous habits so you don't become a slave to your destructive desires. The desire for alcohol, the desire for approval, the desire to lie in bed all day. Paul doesn't replace the law with unrestrained, go hog buck wild, do whatever you want license. Let's make sure you hear that because I don't want anybody going home and said we're free to do anything we want. This is the biblical language here. 
Paul does not replace the law with unrestrained, go hog buck wild, do whatever you want. Paul proclaims that we're free from the law, but that in Christ, we're in step with the Spirit. We're free to be who we're created to be, marked by love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The beauty of the law as an expression of God's way and will in the world is that it sets tracks that our trains can run on. It helps keep us from our destructive desires. And therefore, it's right to see Jesus as the fulfillment of the law, not the destruction of the law. Jesus is the embodiment of the law. Jesus is the way and will of, that's what, what, what God looks like. This is, Jesus as the way and will of God is what the fruits of the Spirit look like. What it looks like in the flesh. In 1520, Martin Luther addressed a pamphlet to Pope Leo X. It was entitled, The Freedom of a Christian. It includes this line. A Christian man or woman, I added that. Christian man is the most free, Lord of all, and subject to none. Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. And by that, Luther means that because of God's acting in Christ, we are absolutely free from the bondage of the law. Thanks be to God. We don't have to do a thing But because of God's activity in Christ, we're bound to serve God and to serve neighbor, to love God and to love neighbor. We're free from law. We're free to love. We're free from self. We're free for others. We're free from religion. We're free for the kingdom. We're free from distortion. We're free to be who we were created to be. We're free to ride the rails. We're free in the spirit to bear fruit. We're free to love. Eugene Peterson translates our text this way. So I'm going to read the text again. This is Peterson's uh, paraphrase, Peterson's translation. It's absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure you don't use this freedom as an excuse 
to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love because that's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. If you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you will be annihilating each other, and where will your precious freedom be then? So my counsel is this. Live freely, animated and motivated by God's Spirit. And what happens when you live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart and a, a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, but able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It only gets in the way. But among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessities is killed off for good. It's crucified. Thanks be to God. Amen.